So we've been talking about this theme called Church Central. Today we kind of take a break from that. And instead we'll be talking about inheritance. Inheritance, given the time of the year, I usually do some version of this um, teaching every year or every two years. And so if you want a title for today, it'll be Inheritance. Um, and this applies both to you uh, as an individual and to us as a church and to the churches connected with us. And some of the things will be specific to Acts 29. And sometimes if you're connected to Acts 29, it applies to you also. But God may have other things he wants to add to you. And so we're going to talk about inheritance. And um, given that it's 24 days from the end of the year, you've got enough time to work on this. By the way, um, Jeevan um, will be heading to India next uh, Sunday. So he won't be here for four or five weeks. We'll try and see if we can get him back earlier. And then after that, Manoj will be heading to India on the 20th. And so we are taking bets on who will come back married. So please send your bets to Heidi. Uh, and the starting bids are at uh, 20 bucks. And uh, yeah, let's see who, who comes back alone, who comes back with someone, right? Okay, that's just on the side. Um, Praful, are you leaving too? No. Good. Derek, what about uh Derek, people come to him. He doesn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So so let's go back to inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Guys, inheritance, uh, if you want to define it, inheritance is something that is assigned, acquired, or possessed by virtue of position. This is important, eh? Inheritance is something that is assigned acquired or possessed. Inheritance is something that is assigned to you or it's acquired by you or it's possessed by you simply because of the position you occupy. It's by virtue of your position or your relational position that you have. That's how you get inheritances. It's not because you work towards it. Work will never get you an inheritance. You cannot, you cannot work for an... Go ahead, don't. Manoj is just trying to make himself indispensable, so we miss him when he leaves. So you cannot work for your inheritance. You cannot work for your inheritance. Cannot work for an inheritance. It is assigned to you, it is acquired by you, it is possessed by you, surely by the virtue of your relational position. So much so that when Israel came into the promised land, they were assigned uh, their inheritance. Tribes and families were assigned their inheritance. If you go to Galatians 3.29, Galatians 3.29, Galatians 3:29 it says there that if you are Christ you are if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to a promise so 
you get what is due you, not because you work at it, but because you are supposed to get the inheritance because of your relationship with the one who is giving it to you. And this is important, guys, because when I talk about inheritance, both as a church and as an individual, I must realize that there is someone who's interested in giving it to me and that it is mine to receive because of my relationship with God. In the Old Testament, God even put in a provision whereby inheritance would be safeguarded from being passed off to others. And so in the year of Jubilee, any, any land that had been given away because of debts would be returned because the Old Testament had inheritance laws to safeguard the land from being passed off to others. And that's one of the things that used to happen once every 50 years at the time of Jubilee. That is how important it is for God that we both receive our inheritance because of our relationship with him, that we then begin to work uh, or landscape our life according to the inheritance that he's giving to us and that he desires to give it to us. I want you to grasp how important it is to discover and walk in it. Your life becomes very intentional and um, when your life becomes intentional, you, what happens is you align yourself with an intentional God. God is not waking up every morning like you and I saying, all right, let's see how we can handle this day. Uh, fly by the seat of my pants. No, God's very intentional. He had things planned from the beginning. You see that in Psalm 139 where he says, all the days, Jacob, that were uh, assigned to you, I had already written down. He knows the next page before I get there and he would like me to have a glimpse of the page so that I can walk in the lines he has written for me. And if he is the author and he is writing my story, surely the author would like me to walk in the story that he has crafted for me. This is why it's important to, to desire, to discover, to think of this as important. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, we Christians don't think it is important and churches don't think it is important. Do you know that Acts 29 has an inheritance awaiting it in 2021? And that if we were able to walk it, that we will plow that land and come into alignment with God's plans for us? Isn't that the only thing a church should desire? Every tribe was allotted an inheritance. I mean, what do you see when Moses prophesies on the 12 tribes? What do you see when... Jacob prophesies on the 12 tribes. What do you see there? He's bequeathing to them the inheritance that they are supposed to handle for the rest of their lives. Asher, this is who you are. Dan, this is who you are. Joseph, this is who you are. Judah, this is who you are. And you think with Jacob having said that, it is done with. But then you see Moses doing the same thing with each tribe. In Deuteronomy, you see Jacob doing it in Genesis. You see Moses doing it in Deuteronomy. Once again, allotting to people the next phase of their inheritance. Because one of the things God does is he knows we won't be able to handle it if he told us all these 720 pages that he has written for your life. So he gives it chapter by chapter or two chapters at a time. And then he sends another Moses or another Jacob saying, here, this is the next phase. And then he begins to have you walk in it. So what I'm saying to you isn't some newfangled charismatic idea. It has been 
since the beginning, right from Genesis onwards. God wants you to have your inheritance, not grudgingly or occasionally, but permanently through your life. God wants you to have your inheritance, not grudgingly. He's not saying, well, I really don't want to give it to you, but since you have found out about the inheritance, take it. It's, that's like a parent who wants to die with their estate secure. Oh, no, 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 I don't have a will. No, 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 no. God has a will for you and he wants you to have it. He doesn't give it grudgingly. He doesn't give it occasionally. He wants you to walk on it on a regular basis. I say to parents of young children, please don't look at uh, what your child should be in terms of a lucrative um, career or financially secure career. Look at the child in terms of the child's inheritance. Look at the child in terms of what God has given you this child for. And if a parent can see that your child will be secure financially, will have as lucrative a vocation as you can think of, and will do phenomenally well. But unfortunately, parents have pressure on them to make sure that the child has a stable, secure life. And a stable, secure life at what cost? At the cost of the days that were written for you in the book by the author and the creator of heaven and earth? What a, what a lousy trade-off. That's porridge. An inheritance is put into effect by the testator, not by you. An inheritance is put into, the, put into effect by the testator, as in the one who is writing the testament or writing the will. The, the inheritance is put into effect by him. It's not by you. It's yours by promise, not by law. It's yours by promise, not by law. If you go to Galatians 3.18, Galatians 3.18, it says there, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Let me read it from the NIV. If you belong to, uh, sorry, Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then, no longer de then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace, grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. The intent there being, I am the one who sets the terms and conditions of this inheritance that I want to give you, Jacob, and you cannot earn it, you cannot legally claim it. It is given to you by promise, by my word. That is how I give it to you. And the strange thing is, there is not a person here on earth who does not have a, a, a book written for them by God, but there's definitely no believer and no community of believers that should operate on earth without knowing what God is allocating to them every couple of years. Though your inheritance is predestined, it does require activation. Though your inheritance is predestined, it does require activation. And uh, you activate it by fulfilling certain conditions that the testator puts in place. You activate it by fulfilling certain conditions that the person who, who wrote the will has put in place. And strangely enough, the only thing that God wants of me if to, so the only the only requirement God has 
for me, to step into the inheritance he has for me, is maturity. Hey, Jacob, can you grow into maturity so I can release the next portion? Galatians 4, verse 1 and 2. says this, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Beautifully. Eh? Or from um, the Passion Translation, in a similar way, God has promised our ancestors something better, but as long as an heir is a minor, he's really not much different than a servant, although he's master over them all. For until the, appoint, until the time appointed by the father when he comes of, the age, comes of age, the child is under domestic supervision of the guardians of the estate. The point being, Jacob, every year mature, mature. And maturity is visible, guys. It is visible. You see a child maturing, you know the child has matured. Not because there's more hair on the child's head, but because there's a difference in the way the child behaves from year to year to year. Maturity is visible. And so one of the ways to um, find out whether you're maturing, besides going and asking God, and besides standing in the mirror of the word, is to go and ask people around you, how do you think I'm doing in this area? And that's a frightening thing to do, eh? And when you do it, um, you get true answers from people that care for you. But it's a frightening thing to do. So though, pre though inheritance is predestined, it requires activation by fulfilling conditions put in by the testator. And the father really has a vested interest in our maturity, guess why? Because he says in Psalm 33 verse 12 that we are his inheritance. We are his inheritance. And therefore, he has a vested interest in our growth and in handing to us what he has for us to do in the year ahead. He has a vested interest in it. I've said this before to you, my, my dad used to threaten me saying, I've fed you so much that you better be taller than me because he could see me going broader, but he couldn't see me increasing in height. And he threatened me saying, man, I've fed you too much. You better grow taller than me. And thank God at 16 or 17, I was taller than him, which, can, which kind of tells you how short he was. But the point is this, that every father has a vested interest in his child maturing because he wants to hand over what he is supposed to do to his children. There is much weight to that scripture in Luke 152, which says, And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and with man. That's not just a simple statement on his growth. That is a statement that says, Here was someone who was in sync with what his father wanted. He's perhaps the only person on earth that walked the script written by God. And it wasn't automatic. How does a boy who is 12 have the ability to go 
and stand and debate with learned scholars in a very respectful way and then come up with a brilliant line, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And who is he saying this to? He's saying it to his own biological father. How does this boy know how to draw that line saying, I know I belong to you as my parents, but I do have a calling on my life that comes from another father. And in his house, you will find me. How does he have the wisdom to do that? It didn't come down automatically. He was a boy who, at a young age of 12, was already walking in ways that were in alignment with what God had wanted to release to him. Do not wait for your children to turn 13, 14, 15, 16 before you get them born again. You can't force them to get born again, but my God, you can bring them to the brink and gently use your finger to push them over. Jesus had an ordinary, normal, below normal life. He was quite poor. You must not think of your 12-year-old as less than. I know that's a frightening thing to hear, that your 12-year-old has the same advantages of Jesus when he was 12. But it's true. Hey, Shell. Here's the other thing, guys. Only the father knows the extent of your inheritance. Eh? Only the father knows the extent of your inheritance. It is vast, it's custom designed for each church, each son. Only the father knows the extent of your inheritance. I mean, I guess you would say the same thing. If someone told you that you would be doing or you would be where you're at right now, if someone told you that about 10 years ago, would you have believed them? I would not be able to believe it. I would not be able to believe what I'm doing right now. Because I could have never imagined the inheritance that my father had for me. I could have never believed that for Acts 29 either. Though I, I was the one who planted the church, I would never have imagined this inheritance that Acts 29 presently is walking in. I could not have imagined it. It's custom designed for each son and each church. And it is vast and only the father knows the extent of that inheritance. Do you think David knew it when he was with the sheep? Do you think Joseph knew it? He did very early because he saw a dream. Sometimes, guys, the things God did in your life and showed you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, don't throw them away because they haven't come to pass. The vision is for an appointed time. I hold on to things preciously from 1988, from 1970. I'm talking about me, I'm kind of old. I remember this man with a beard wearing a, a, a very simple white shirt and um, coming and putting his hand on my head and saying, this boy will become a man of God and he will go around the world. That's more than 50 years ago, man. Hold on to these things preciously. Treasure them. The Father knows the extent of your inheritance. It is released to you 
on the basis of his faithfulness. It is released to you on the basis of his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his wisdom, and his mercy. And all four are very critical because um, if we don't realize that it is released to you on the basis of his faithfulness, you may begin to think that your faithfulness matters more. And then you may think that, ah, shucks, I can't walk in this because I haven't done well this year. Let God rewrite your story every morning. Every morning gives you a new chance to restart life. Yeah. Um, when God releases to you an inheritance, he does this on the basis of his faithfulness. As in, I am faithful. So much so that in Timothy he says, even if you are faithless, I will be faithful. When you look at some of the heroes from the Bible, you realize that God released to them things even when they were not faithful. He was still able to be faithful to them. He does that based on his sovereignty. And why that is important is because sometimes you may think that a person does not deserve to be where he's at, given his pedigree, given his degrees, given his past, and yet he does it based on his sovereignty. He does it based on his wisdom. Based on his wisdom. Very wise. He sees the past. He sees the future. He knows how to position you. And then he does it out of his wisdom. It goes back to what I was talking about last week when we talked about decrees. How you cannot make a decree unless you know the whole story that God is unfolding. Decrees made in isolation um, do not capture what God has been doing and what God wants to do. He does it on the basis of his mercy. Man, if it wasn't for his mercy, we would have squandered our inheritances long ago. That is why I said, you get to rewrite your story every morning because his mercies are new every morning. Come on, guys, take advantage of this. God who can be mush at times. Because the inheritance is vast, it is released to you in parts. Because the inheritance is vast, it's released to you in parts. You go to Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 29. Um, when it came to allotting Israel land, here's what God said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out before you until you have increased and possess the land until you have increased. There is a need for me to increase so I can possess more. And so, because the inheritance is vast, it is released to you in parts. The thing is, the scope and the extent of your inheritance or a church's inheritance is unattainable in the natural. If what God is releasing to you is attainable in the natural, question whether it is an inheritance from God. You just have to look at the story of Israel and you see 
One of the chapters that really gets me is Deuteronomy 9.3. Deuteronomy 9. <laughs> and here's how God encourages them. He's giving them their inheritance, and here's how he does it. Hear, O Israel, you're going to go across the Jordan today to go and dispossess nations greater than you, mightier than you, cities great and fortified, people great and tall, sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard, who can stand before them. Now that he's told them how fierce they are, he now says to them, that is your inheritance, go take it. So most of the time, when an inheritance is allotted to you, there is a scary excitement about it because it is not attainable in the natural. Or what about Moses? Hey, Moses, I want you to go and deliver the people out of Pharaoh's hands. And by the way, every time you go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go, I'll go and whisper in Pharaoh's ear, don't, I'll harden his heart. I mean, it's not like Moses needed that much help. He was already going up against the greatest nation on earth at that time. And God is helping him by saying, don't worry, every time you say, let my people go, I'll go whisper, harden your heart. So it is unattainable in the natural, which is why an inheritance must be looked at with eyes of the Spirit. You must see with eyes of the Spirit. You must see with the eyes of the Spirit. So whenever um, um, you receive a passage that God is saying, here is an inheritance passage, Acts 29, that you need to walk in. I have to see it with the eyes of the Spirit. Guys, we've been doing this at Acts 29 for years. And it's been fascinating to see how God always brings to pass what he has said. I remember it was, yeah, I can go back a few years and tell you different times when, and I've been doing this um, for the last 20 years. That doesn't mean you need to do it. It just means that I have to show you biblically that it is something that was done in the Old Testament and the New so that you can then copy it. Not because Jacob does it, but because there is biblical precedent for it. And then if you want to do it because Jacob does it, great. Because, uh, yeah. Look at my life. What does Galatians 3.11 say? Yeah, don't worry about it. The righteous shall live by faith. I was just wondering why I wrote that down. Guys, inheritance should not become your master. And inheritance should not become your master. Very often what happens is that um, we get so hung up with destiny and inheritance that it becomes your master. You... you your single-minded pursuit of it gets so overpowering that people are left um, on the side. Um, even God becomes uh, secondary to the destiny, the inheritance, the target um, that you're pursuing. And that should not happen. That happened to the prodigal. The prodigal wanted in his inheritance before time, and it became his master, so much so that he went and asked for it and in asking for it, in a way, what he was saying was, hey, I know you're not dead, but give me what is due me, as if you were dead. So an inheritance must not become your master, but as you follow the master, 
your inheritance is released to you. One of the classic examples of this is in 2 Kings 2, where it says that even though there were 50 other prophets, there was one who kept following his master, kept following him from, uh, the, from Gilgal to um, Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. And did he get an inheritance? Absolutely. But how did he pursue it? By pursuing the master. Because it's in pursuing the master that maturity happens. And when maturity happens, it is very natural for that which God had crafted for you, the story he had written for you, is now released to you because you can handle it. It's been a while since I made this, uh, repeated this statement. Well, why did Jesus die at 33? Besides the fact that he was crucified, why did Jesus die at 33? Or why did his life end at 33? Um, one of the reasons is there was nothing else left to do. He had finished everything. He had finished everything that needed to be done. He would not die a day earlier. He actually makes that statement that um, it was not yet time for him. And then when everything was finished, one of the things I hope I'll be able to do is catch up in terms of things that I've been lagging in so that when I leave the earth, I'd have finished everything that Christ appointed me when he placed me on the earth. Wouldn't that be a great way to leave? But God says to you the night before you die, hey, Don, looks like you finished everything that's left to do. Eh, don't worry about marriage. Let's go. That is funny. Okay, let me change it from dawn to me. <laughs> hey, Jacob. <laughs> There's nothing left to do. You finished everything. Here. Let's go. Don't worry about marriage. Uh, sure, Father. Ah, I got no problems. Let's go. That would. <laughs> that, that would be the way to leave the earth. Yeah. Sorry, Don, if you sit in the front, this might happen. <laughs> Don's going to delay finishing things on earth. <laughs> yeah. Guys, an inheritance is not a list of accomplishments. It's not like a bucket list of accomplishments. In fact, in, an inheritance must be seen as a legacy that blesses others. An inheritance must be seen as what I'm going to do or what Acts 29 is going to do in 2021 is not we accomplish this, 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 and this as told by God. No. Oh God, we're going to walk in this so that others may benefit. One of the coolest stories that I never get tired of reading is in uh, Ruth chapter 4, where in Ruth 4 verse 5 and 6, Boaz goes up to uh, Naomi's relative and says to Naomi's relative, hey, uh, you realize that you are the closest kin to Naomi and that this land is yours. And so I just wanted to ask you if you want this land. And by the way, I just wanted to tell you, if you take this land, you'll have to marry Ruth and your inheritance is going to go to Ruth and her children, Naomi and her uh, children. And the kinsman redeemer says, no, 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 thank you. You can have the land. And then Boaz takes the land. And the, and the kinsman redeemer he approaches actually says, no, 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 I don't want this land because in the process, I may endanger my estate. 
Because if you married the widow of your brother, you would not have an inheritance. Your inheritance would also go to your brother's widow's children. And so he says no, and Boaz does it. But in the process, what happens is he now births a legacy out of which Jesus of Nazareth comes. So when you walk in your inheritance in 2021, walk in it with the expectation that as I do, others are going to benefit. This is not a list of accomplishments for me. Carry your inheritance on your back. Don't let it be a carrot that hangs in front that you're running after. Carry it on your back. Let others, let others take off it. Once an inheritance is known, it's your responsibility to either steward it or squander it. Once an inheritance is known, it's your responsibility to steward it or to squander it. This is why I've so often suggested that when God gives you a promise or when God gives you uh, something as simple as a rhema or God gives you an idea of what awaits you over a year, over a few months, over a couple of years, go over it again and again and again and again. Because one of the ways to steward the things that God says, because remember guys, anything that God asks you to do is beyond the understanding of your mind. If you think your mind can handle it, then you already know it is not of God. I have never walked, nor has Acts 29 till today walked, in something that was possible or that was comprehensible. Comprehensible. It has always been beyond us. This is critical. All your planning for 2021 must be around things that require faith, require God, that will have you fall flat on your face if either of those are missing. Then you see God. Otherwise you see your boss or you see your um, parent or you see the bank do it for you. I can steward it or I can squander it. And part of the reason I say keep going over it, keep going over it, is because the mind has to change. The thinking has to change. So how do you squander or delay your inheritance? You squander or delay your inheritance by one, exchanging it for porridge or for trinkets. Exchanging it for porridge or for trinkets. Porridge is an immediate need. Trinket is something that looks attractive that will give you dignity and respect in the eyes of people. But in the process, you will lose out on what could have been yours long term. You can delay or squander your inheritance by busying yourself with the wrong priorities. By busying yourself with the wrong priorities. And so one of the questions I ask people at the end of the year is what are you going to throw overboard this year so that you aren't carrying that into 2021 either because it has expired or there is an expiry date that's coming up shortly or because it is no longer 
what you are supposed to do. Because sometimes the demands placed on you aren't um, lifted off by people and so you continue doing things because there is a demand placed on you, not necessarily because that is something allotted to you by God. That applies to things that even I ask you. I might ask you something because you do it well. I might ask you something because I need you to do it. And if those are the reasons why I'm asking you to do something, you have a right to say, but Jacob, I sense that. My reason for asking you to continue in something or do something should solely be because at present, this is what God has for you. And you can question me on that. Because pastors can pigeonhole people into places and positions for long years on end. Don't worry, it's none of you. You guys are where you're supposed to be. So don't come to me after this. I'm kidding. The third reason you should delay, you can, the third way you can delay or squander your inheritance is by working in someone else's land by working in someone else's land, by working in someone else's land. As in, you're like um, a partridge that um, sits on the eggs of some other bird, and then when they hatch, they don't look like you, and you wonder why you're not getting any results. There are some things that aren't yours to hatch. Let go of those things. They're not yours. Was that a question, Derek? Okay. Jacob worked in Laban's land for 20 years, concealed. Make sure that... Yeah, and these things you can find out, guys, through a process of, Father, what is it that you want for 2021 and 22? Sometimes God asks you to be in a certain place for two years. What is it that you want? And then don't let hell or high water, your parents or some prince uh, charming, move you from what is allotted to you. Or princess charming. An inheritance sustains you in hard times. An inheritance sustains you in hard times. Sometimes when nothing else is going for you, the only thing that keeps you alive and have you get up every morning is you said, you said, you said. Man, what do you think sustained Joseph? You said. In Potiphar's prison, you said. When the baker forgot, you said. When the brothers sold me, you said. And if we don't have an inheritance, during hard times, Babylon citizens will tread over you. Because it says in that prodigal son story, Luke 15, verse 15, that when his inheritance ran out, the citizens of the city began to hire him to do their work. Because now you don't have a dream to live for. An inheritance requires inner cleanness. 
and inheritance requires inner cleanness. It's the only problem with Christianity, eh? You can be successful with Christian principles as a Hindu, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, but if you're a Christian and you practice Christian principles, it is also required of you that there be inner cleanness. 2 Timothy 2.21 um, from the message puts it this way. Second Timothy 2.21 Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. Run away from infantile indulgence. Run after mature righteousness. Inheritance requires faith and endurance. Inheritance requires faith and endurance. Faith to see what is impossible. Endurance to finish what is impossible. And it requires the ability to run with the horses. Jeremiah 12.5 If you are tired running with footmen, how are you going to run with the horses? Guys, we're not being called to run with how well the earth can do. We're called to run. I mean, I love what C.S. Lewis says. God isn't, give, God isn't someone who's using a whip on a horse. He's made your horse with wings. That is the idea. That Listen, Jacob, run with the horses. Doing as well as some of the best in the world ain't good enough. You have to see with eyes of faith and you have to have the endurance so that you finish the work I've given you in the time frame that I've allotted to you. And if you don't, sure, we'll talk about it. But aim towards it. Acts 29 must. Inheritance requires that I have no plan B. Inheritance requires that I have no plan B. I must burn my plow and my oxen like Elisha did. There is no plan B when it comes to, this is the story I want you to walk in Acts 29. This is the story I want you to walk in, uh, Rosalind. And please don't think that an inheritance is cut off once you retire or once you turn 65. Not true. But what if, what if everyone over 70 rediscovered what was allotted to them in the year ahead? Do you know what that would do to your life? You would move from being um, Anna in the Bible who spent many years praying. Because what happens to most women, more to women than men, and thank God for that, is that most women after 75 or 80 think that all they're supposed to do is pray for their grandchildren and their children. And that's what pastors tell you to. Oh, don't worry, sister. You pray for your grandchildren. They will become giants on earth. Come on, man. There's more to it than that. It is a very important thing. Please don't think I'm dissing that. But surely there is more. Discover it. And they always tell you to pray for your grandchildren because your children won't listen. Some of these things I say you can ignore. I'm like in the last sentence. The rest of it is very good. So one can know what God is saying and yet refuse it. So you can have God say, hey, walk in this, and yet you can refuse it 
Um, but whenever you re-engineer or uh, despise uh, your inheritance, it usually has serious generational consequences. And I say serious generational consequences because we don't realize how much of our inheritance has an effect on those that are coming up after us. You think that if God says, hey, Jacob, this is what Acts 29 needs to walk in in 21 and 22. And what if I began to think, no, it's time for Acts 29 to become a really big church. We got to do things differently. Sure, we might become famous. But here's the catch, guys. For another couple of generations, I've screwed up what could have been good. Why? Because you trust me enough now to follow, but I am leading you in a way that God hasn't prescribed. Whenever you re-engineer or despise an inheritance that has been allotted to you, it usually has serious generational consequences, and churches go through 30 or 40 years of it because now it is set and once it is set, there is no man that can come and change it because now you're battling a system that has the ability to swallow up leaders year after year after year. I've been in churches like that, man. And the same happens to our individual lives. You know, in, in, in Genesis 11, after Noah had uh, done with the flood and now you've come out of the flood, earth has restarted again. And God says, listen, I don't want you to gather together. I want you to scatter. I want you to, I, I, I want you to go across the earth. Because right from Genesis 1.28, there was a decree given. Go forth, multiply, replenish, subdue. And what does Nimrod do? Nimrod decides that he's going to gather everybody together around that tower. And in Deuteronomy 32, there's a strange scripture in verse 8 which says that God decided... In Deuteronomy 32, that, okay, if this is how you want to go, if you want to despise what I have decreed to you, then I'm going to disinherit you. And now the nation spread throughout the earth. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, 8, that they became the inheritance of lesser gods. That's literally what it says. That when God allotted the nations, he appointed to them divine guardians. And he was not talking about divine guardians that were heavenly. Whenever we deliberately re-engineer or despise the inheritance that has been given to us, know that lesser gods hijack and ravage an institution, a church, a family for generations. Satan used that as bait in Luke chapter 4 verse 6 when he says, listen, all the kingdoms have been given to me. Do you want to bow? I can give you all this. Jesus but knew what was written in Psalm 2, verse 8, where it says, hey, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says, all right, now that they have been given to me, let me commission you, church, you go, and you teach the nations to observe what I have commanded. In Revelations 11, 15, you see it all coming to consummation when he says, the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdom of our God and King. So let's bring it to Acts 29 and how we need to now go about this. I said earlier that inheritance is released in part. We saw what God did in 2020. Zechariah 8 was given to us. That's a scripture that 
I explained and Emily had read. And it was the year of the Holy Spirit. We saw what God did with this church in terms of multiplication, growth, mission, and maturity, despite it being the kind of year it was. It was the best year in our history. What about 2021? So here's something you need to do. Over the next 24 days, ask God for decrees over your life. Ask God to release to you an inheritance passage that you can live by or you can landscape your life with. Here's the thing, guys. To begin with, I love Ecclesiastes 8.4 from the New King James. It says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. The New King James Version puts it that way. So when it comes to inheritance passages, an inheritance passage is a passage that it's a passage that God landscapes our lives with. It's a passage that God landscapes our lives with. It's a passage that God landscapes our lives with according to his plan. Karen, I hope the writing is good enough for you to read. I saw that comment. An inheritance passage is something he uses to set us up, something he uses to set us up to discover, to set us up to discover the journey of faith that awaits us in 21-22. Could be two years, could be one. What will our journey of faith look like? I'm not saying journey, I'm saying journey of faith look like. <laughs> Guys, Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness comes into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And goes and opens a scroll and reads out a passage from Isaiah 61 that becomes his inheritance. And that he lives the rest of his life by. The next three and a half years are lived according to Isaiah 61, 1 to 5. He opens it, he reads it. And then he makes an amazing statement in Luke 4, 21. Today, this passage has been fulfilled. And then he begins to step out from that day on. And what begins to happen? The good news is preached to the poor. The blind see. Prison doors are open. The deaf hear. Captives are set free. Oaks of righteousness are raised. Spirit of heaviness moves away and the spirit of praise comes in. Beauty for ashes. Gladness for mourning. If for no other reason, do this for the sake of your master, because he did this too. Go and ask God for this. 
Remember I said, the reason I took so much time to describe and define what inheritance looks like means is so that you understand that God wants you to have your inheritance not grudgingly, not occasionally, but permanently. Hey guys, you think I don't want it for you? I mean, for those of you who have been involved in house churches and are leading and were L2s and L3s and so on, what is my intent? That Do you realize, guys, that my intent is can I run out run myself out of everything I'm doing so that I will have to find new things to do. Why? Because it is my desire to see you step into a place that you haven't stepped into before till the person ahead of you has to find something else to do. Something else more challenging, something else requiring more faith. Wave after wave, generation after generation, maturing, stepping into their inheritance to create pathways for the next generation to grab theirs so that you can move off into your journey of faith where you discover what else God has for you and the extent of it is vast. When you have nothing left to do, there's two ways to leave the earth. You finished everything so there's nothing left to do. Two, you never had anything to do because you never spent time discovering your inheritance. And now you're better off with God than here. Don't worry, John. I won't go down that route with you. Ask God because he wants you to have this inheritance, not grudgingly, not occasionally. Ask God because it's something that he loves assigning, that he loves you to possess, that he wants you to acquire by virtue of your position. You heard him sing over you that last song. I've made you a vessel. I've made you an offering that I want to pour out. I've made you whatever I wanted you to be. You came to me with nothing, but my inheritance, all that you have, is the inheritance that I'm giving you. I will make new wine out of you. And once you receive this from God, read it. Reread it. And after rereading it, reread it again. Study it. Research it. Let God illuminate it. Go over it again and again. I think I've told you of a man who said how God gave him Psalm 91 as an inheritance and told him to read Psalm 91 for six months. I told him you need to read only Psalm 91 for six months. And every day he would read Psalm 91 for 180 days. Can you imagine what that would have done to his life? Can you imagine you being so confident of Psalm 91? Can you imagine what can, that can do to your life? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength and my fortress. That no pestilence that flies by the day, no arrow that flies by the night, no plague that comes near your tent, no evil that will befall you. Angels will uphold you. Because you have set your love on me, because you hate what I hate and love what I love. 
I will keep you. Can you imagine reading that for 180 days, two or three, three times a day? Can you imagine what that does to your head and your heart? Can you ever be afraid again? So, 2021, Acts 29. Our theme, we said, was church central, based out of Ephesians 1.23 from the message, which says that the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. Why? Because Jesus Christ fills the church with his presence speaks through the church, acts through the church, reigns through the church, and is the head of the church for her sake. So that's our theme. What is the passage that we need to discover, just like we did Zechariah 8 last year? This year, here are the scriptures that we will look at over and over and over again, we'll teach on it, we'll study on it, and at the end of next year, I pray God that we'll have stories that show how faithful God was. So here are the scriptures, and we'll read only one of them today. Second Kings 2, and I'll talk more about this perhaps in the new year. Second Kings 6, 1 to 23. And 2 Kings 13, 14 to 21. These are the passages that will, uh, these passages are like a field that we will plow and find nuggets in it. Find nuggets that uh, will be used to do whatever God wants to do across the earth. And I say to the churches that are connected to Acts 29, um, I believe that this is something that is yours also. There might be additions to it, but whether you're in Vernon, whether you're in Bahrain, whether you're in Sydney, whether you're in wherever you are, know that these scriptures apply to you too because of how connected you are whether you are in Brazil, whether you're in um, Lithuania. And God may add more to it. If there's one word I could use for <laughs> all these passages, if I could call them something, I would call them Elisha, because it's basically a story, different stories from the life of Elisha. And I'm so looking forward to it. I'm already excited about Second Kings 13, 14 to 21, um, and what is going to happen. Guys, sometimes, you know, I've actually learned a little bit of patience. I don't, I don't say stuff before I'm supposed to say it, but my God, I'm so looking forward to what's going to happen. Yeah, so I'm going to ask Emily to come and read Second uh, Kings 2, and uh, then we'll see how we land. Yeah? So open to Second Kings 2. This is your first read. May you read it many times. I've 
already read and heard it four or five times between day before yesterday and today. Second Kings 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take you from your master today, or take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, We, your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, Do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, Send them. And they sent fifty men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, but as you can see, uh, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. 
From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of there, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Samaria. 